the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Welcome aboard. My name is Mike Lee, filling in for Georgine, and I also get to be director of local ministries for True Talk 800, the 93.9 KPDQ FM network, 93.1 L Ray. AM 1640, The Patriot, AM 860, The Answer, KPAM, and 104.1, The Fish. And I also get to host Difference Makers, our ministry spotlight. It airs on True Talk 800, 1 p.m. on Fridays, Saturdays, and Mondays, and also Saturdays at 1 p.m. on 93.9 KPDQ. Mark down Thursday, March 11th on your calendar for a very special live stream event from 7 to 8 p.m. Pacific as Paid in Full Oregon presents The Ripple Effect. It features a very special presentation from Ruth Graham, the daughter of the late Reverend Billy Graham. Megan Cole was brutally murdered in 2006. Following the death of his daughter, Judge Tom Cole wrote the book Losing Megan, Finding Hope, Comfort, and Forgiveness in the Midst of Murder in 2012. As a Christian, the presence of Jesus Christ empowered Judge Cole to forgive Megan's murderer. This story allowed Judge Cole to share about hope and forgiveness with adults in custody across the country and overseas. In 2017, Judge Cole founded the nonprofit group Paid in Full Oregon. PIFO started a four-year accredited college degree program at the Oregon State Correctional Institution in partnership with Corbin University and the Oregon Department of Corrections. Students have a prison sentence that extends at least four years beyond the completion of their degrees, and after graduation, they will mentor, counsel, and bring hope to fellow adults in the Oregon prison system. Please join the virtual fundraising celebration to learn more about the ripple effect of transforming adults in custody into spiritual and moral leaders. Find out how you can help from 7 to 8 p.m. Pacific on Thursday, March 11th. Free tickets, online access, and information are all available at the website, paidinfulloregon.org. That's paidinfulloregon.org. And here to share all about it, welcome Judge Tom Cole. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Mike. I really appreciate this opportunity. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule, especially with the event we have coming up on Thursday, March 11th, which is a live stream event from 7 to 8 p.m. featuring Ruth Graham. She'll be doing a presentation, and Ruth is the daughter of the late Reverend Billy Graham. So, Tom, where on earth did you connect with Ruth Graham? Well, that's an interesting, uh, interesting question. It has an interesting uh, story behind it. I connected with Ruth Graham through a good friend of mine, Burl Kane, who is the former warden at Angola Prison in Louisiana. Currently, he is the uh, he's been appointed the commissioner for the Mississippi Department of Corrections. He's been doing that since January of uh, 2020. So. So he had the connection with uh, Ruth Graham. Ruth had visited 
the Angola prison when he was the warden there, and they developed a relationship uh, as a result of that. Oh, how wonderful. So have you had any chances to meet Ruth Graham or have good conversations with her? Yep. I spoke with her on the phone uh, for the first time about uh, two weeks ago, and uh, that's when she agreed to do a special presentation for our uh, virtual celebration fundraiser coming up on March 11th. And so we had a really nice conversation. Very nice, very nice lady. I'm so glad to hear that, although not at all surprised. And you might want to take down this website, paidinfulloregon.org. That's paidinfulloregon.org, which is where you can find not only information, but also get your free ticket and online access as well for this one-hour event coming up on Thursday, March 11th. So, Tom, could you give us the big picture? What exactly is Paid in Full Oregon? Yeah, Paid in Full Oregon is a nonprofit. We received our nonprofit status from the federal government on February 14th of 2018. I'll, I'll always remember that date. And our mission is to uh, change the culture of the Oregon prison system by transforming the adults in custody there to spiritual and moral leaders. Uh, and then adult will do that by providing a four-year college degree for some of the, we call them AICs. Now, I used to call them inmates, and, and that's changed, and they're called adults in custody or AICs, and that's what I'll refer to them as. So is that a more politically correct term, adults in custody versus inmates or prisoners? I, I think that's the intent of that, is to kind of get away from that inmate-prisoner sort of uh, attitude that we've had in the past. A lot of times people hear the name prisoner, inmate, convicted felon, felon, whatever, and, and it really may have a not a very good connotation. And so the use of adults in custody, that's what they are. They're, they're adults that are in custody in the Oregon Department of Corrections. And so that's something that Director Colette Peters started probably about two or three years ago. She started to change. Uh, she changed the names there. Well, I hope that something as small as a change in terminology maybe brings a little spark of hope to these people that, like the rest of us, are sinners. And it's easy for us to stereotype people and put them into categories and write off people, especially today during this cancel culture. But ultimately, we're all dirt without the saving grace of Jesus Christ even these people who are incarcerated for various reasons. So what is the connection that you have with Corbin University, where I get to be an adjunct in the media arts department? Where did that connection begin? Yeah, so that began, uh, that goes probably back to the beginning of the story of Paid in Full. So I incorporated Paid in Full in 2019, and we got our 501c3 status in 2018. At, at that point, uh, we were looking to find a college, a faith-based Christian college in the state of Oregon, that would be willing to implant, use their accreditation to set up a four-year college degree program in one of Oregon's prisons. And so I had a chance to meet with some of the college presidents around the state. And uh, probably, it was, in, it was in 2017 I met with President Sheldon Nord, who is, was the president and is the president of Corbin University. I told him about uh, the idea that, that God had put on my heart to, to do something like this in Oregon. And, and uh, so we had several conversations about that. And then uh, in probably the spring of 2018, I 
entered into a funding agreement, paid in full, Oregon entered into a funding agreement with Corbin University to reimburse them for all their costs associated with implanting a four-year college degree program in one of Oregon's prisons. You know, like most colleges around the country at that time and even now, they don't have any extra money to start new programs, and so it would have been difficult for them to do this on their own. But I felt that God had had put it on my heart that uh, he would be willing to, he'd, he'd raise the money necessary to uh, support Corbin University and their program. And so, so that's what we did. We entered into a funding agreement and it's been a really great partnership relationship with Corbin since then. I'm so glad to hear that. Judge Tom Cole, I want to do justice to the rest of this story. So I want to remind listeners that your book is Losing Megan, Finding Hope, Comfort, and Forgiveness in the Midst of Murder. And the website for your nonprofit organization is paidinfulloregon.org. That's paidinfulloregon.org. And don't forget, that's the website to go to for access to this free online event. It's an hour-long live stream, Thursday, March 11th. And it includes a presentation, a special one, by Ruth Graham, daughter of the late Reverend Billy Graham. When we return more with Judge Tom Cole on The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. This is The Georgine Rice Show. Welcome. My name is Mike Lee, filling in for Georgine. Our very special guest is Tom Cole. Tom Cole wrote a very interesting book called Losing Megan, and among other things, he served on the bench in Washington County after being appointed by Governor John Kitzhaber in 1997. He's also been elected three times. He retired from full-time judging in 2016 and is currently on assignment part-time as a senior judge for the state of Oregon. So welcome, Judge Tom Cole. Can you tell us about your relationship with the Oregon State Correctional Institution? How encouraged were they by this idea? Did this just kind of come out of left field for them or what? Well, you know, it was, uh, so it goes back to, well, let me just start at the beginning because in July, on July 21st of 2006, my daughter, who was 21 years at the, at the time, 21 years old at the time was murdered. It was a brutal murder. It, uh, happened in Gladstone and, uh, uh, you know, it was a parent's worst nightmare uh, just coming true for me. And so uh, I was a presiding judge in Washington County at the time. Uh, and uh, it was just awful to, to, you know, I mean, just a terrible, horrific time to go through. I mean, you feel hopeless. You feel helpless. Uh, you're asking God, you know, why this? Uh, why did this happen? How could you let this happen? And so... Uh, eventually, though, uh, I was able to, you know, I was able to turn to my church and turn to God. Some people turn to God in situations like that, and some people turn away. And fortunately, I turned to God and spent a lot of time reading the Psalms during those months, several months after uh, her her murder. My church community came around me. My friends came around me. were praying. And eventually, the man who murdered my daughter uh, was uh, arrested about a year later, and uh, probably two years after that, uh, in February of 2009, there was a trial. He pled not guilty, and so there was a trial in Clackamas County. 
and the trial lasted about six weeks. Uh, uh, the jury ended up finding him guilty of aggregate, ag- aggravated murder, and uh, he uh, was uh, sentenced then by the judge handling that case. I came to the sentencing hearing. I was able to speak to his first name was Robert, and I was able to speak to him at that hearing and uh, tell him that I had actually forgiven him before he even knew who he was, and that was only possible through the power and presence of Jesus Christ in my life. I mean, it was it was like an amazing gift from Jesus when this whole thing happened. I had so much sorrow, despair, remorse in my heart. There wasn't any room for bitterness or anger towards the person who had committed this awful crime. And Jesus just kept that from, from allowing that to come into my heart. And so before I knew it, you know, there was this forgiveness there. Whoever had done this crime, I was, I was forgiving him because Jesus, that's what he commands us to do. And he gave me the power to do that. So I was able to tell him at the sentencing hearing that I had forgiven him before he even knew who he was. Uh, I told him that, you know, there is a heaven and there is a hell. And I hope that uh, you choose uh, which place you want to be at soon. And so uh, the judge ended up uh, sentencing him to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Uh, shortly after that, I felt God was asking me to write a book. And so that's that's what happened with Losing Megan. I started to write a book and completed that book uh, in 2010, December, 2010, at least I thought I'd completed the book. God wanted me to write one more chapter. And so that one more chapter was visiting Robert in prison. And, and, you know, I thought here I was a judge, you know, I'd been a judge for over 10 years at that point in time. And I thought my job was to put people in prison, not to go visit them in prison. And God kind of turned that upside down, and he wanted me to go visit Robert. So I did, and I spent about an hour with him on the day that we we uh, uh, had set aside. And it was a pretty pretty uh, tough hour to go through. I mean, I was emotionally, physically uh, exhausted uh, within 15 minutes of meeting with him. And, and I actually ran out of questions, on, and I, I asked Robert, I said, Robert, do you have any questions for me? I looked up at the clock. We were supposed to, we started at 1.30 and we we're supposed to go till 2.30 in the afternoon. And it was about 1.45 and I was just done. And uh, I said, Robert, do you have any questions for me? And he bowed his head and we weren't allowed to talk about the case because he was appealing it. He bowed his head and he said, I'm sorry. And he started to sob and I knew what he was talking about. I mean, I knew what he was sorry for. And then he looked up at me and he said, judge, you know, how can you be so kind to me? And at that point, I just felt Jesus crashing down into that conference room where we were meeting. And and just the door opened for me to talk to him about the gospel and, 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 and talk about some scriptures. And uh, the next 45 minutes went by in a flash. And so I was able to pray with him at the end. I've never seen him since. I've never had any communication from him since that day. And that was in April of uh, 2011. So I ended up finishing the book, and uh, um, I thought that I was writing the book for parents who had lost loved ones through tragic circumstances, and I thought that was God's intent. I, it was, but God also had another plan for it, like he usually does, that we aren't aware of right in the beginning. And what that book did is it opened the door for me to go around to speak in prisons about 
Jesus Christ and forgiveness within the state of Oregon. So I went to probably 10 out of the 14 prisons in Oregon. I spoke in them. And it was it was a powerful message, you know, a sitting judge coming in, speaking to adults in custody about Jesus Christ and forgiveness and offering them hope and comfort. And so I started then traveling around other states and uh, speaking. I was getting invites to go to uh, states like Texas and, and uh, Georgia, North Carolina. And so eventually I ended up speaking with Warden Kane, who was the, the warden of Angola Prison uh, in Louisiana. Judge Tom Cole wrote the book Losing Megan, Finding Hope, Comfort, and Forgiveness in the Midst of Murder. And Judge, I can only say it's got to be some kind of God thing, a supernatural ability to be able to forgive the man who murdered your daughter violently and share the love of Christ with him in this one conversation that you had. So could you please continue your story about what happened after your talk with him? Yeah, so... The book opened the door for me to speak in prisons, as I mentioned earlier. So I ended up going down to a prison in Louisiana called Angola. And uh, Angola used to be one of the bloodiest, most violent maximum security prisons in the United States. In one year, uh, 20 inmates were murdered there. And then it changed in 1995 when a warden by the name of Burl Kane came in and decided he wanted to do something about what was happening at Angola. So he asked the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary to come in and implant a four-year college degree in 1995 there. They agreed to do that, and they did. And they had 40 students in their first class there. And then in 1999, four years later, they had their first graduating class. So throughout that time, when they brought 40 people, new, new men in each year, the men started mixing with the other men in Angola, and they started to... It started to change the culture of the, the Angola prison system. The men became morally responsible, and the whole Angola prison system, there was one main prison there, and they had four or five satellite prisons around on 18,000 acres. So it sits on 18,000 acres. There are those several prisons on it. It's surrounded by the Mississippi River on three sides, the, the Tunica Hills Mountains on another side. It's the only prison in the country with its own zip code. It's the only prison in the country with its own TV station. They have a radio station. They have a rodeo that occurs in the spring and in the fall. The men ride the animals, and they invite the free world to come in, and uh, they pay tickets for that, and they sell their wares on the outside of the arena there, and they generate $2.6 million a year for the prison industry just through the rodeo itself. So it's a pretty amazing place to visit. Paid in full Oregon, transforming adults in custody into spiritual and moral leaders. Thursday, March 11th from 7 to 8 p.m. Don't miss this wonderful live stream and find out how you can help. Get your free ticket and online access at the website paidinfulloregon.org. That's paidinfulloregon.org. More with Judge Tom Cole next on The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. My name is Mike Lee, filling in for Georgine. Our very special guest is Tom Cole. The whole Angola prison system, there was one main prison there, and they had four or five satellite prisons around on 18,000 acres. So it sits on 18,000 acres. So it's a pretty amazing place to visit. So 
I became friends with the warden there. I spoke on several occasions there. And one time I was with the warden. Uh, it was in June of uh, 2014. And I prayed for him. And then he said, Judge, let me pray for you. He said, bow your head and close your eyes. And, and I did. Uh, when the warden of the maximum security prison tells you to bow your head and close your eyes, you do. And I did. And this was his prayer. He said, Dear Lord, don't let this man rest until they have a Bible college in the Oregon Department of Corrections. Amen. And I looked up at uh, Burl and I said, I thought we were friends. Why would you want me to have no rest until we do that in Oregon? I said, you don't you don't know Oregon. Oregon, I believe, is one of the most unchurched states in the country. This is an impossible impossibility. It will never happen. And he looked at me and he said, Judge, who do we worship? And I said, yeah, we worship the God of the impossible. And so that planted the seed in my heart. God spoke to me through Pearl, and that planted the seed in my heart when I came back to Oregon to do whatever I could to get a Christian faith-based university college degree program implanted into one of the prisons in Oregon. And so when I came back, I met with the Department of Corrections director. I told her about the idea of putting a faith-based university in one of Oregon's prisons. I told her about Angola. She knew about Angola. I said, would you be willing to send one of your people to Angola to on a vision trip to see what it's like down there? So she said, yes. And my jaw dropped to my chest. I'm sure it was just that easy. And uh, so we ended up going down in January of 2015. I took a bunch of Oregon officials down there, a couple of state senators and state representatives and somebody from the attorney general's office, and they had an amazing trip there. They saw how Angola had changed. I mean, they, 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 they were just amazed at what they saw. They, they felt they were safer there than any other place they'd been. It was an amazing experience. So I came back. Uh, we came back, and, and uh, I retired in 2016. And on my retirement vacation, I got a call from a friend who said, Judge, uh, the Department of Corrections is willing to allow you to put a faith-based university into one of its prisons. And I couldn't get back to the States quick enough. I was on vacation in Central America. So I came back and started meeting with some more people. And then eventually I met with uh, Sheldon Nord, President Nord from Corbin University. I met met some more Oregon Department of Corrections officials, uh, paid in full, entered into a memorandum of understanding with the Department of Corrections, and and uh, we entered into that funding agreement that I talked about with Corbin University. So we were off and running. They gave us some space in a local prison in Salem called the Oregon State Correctional Institution, OSCI. They said, here's the space. It's 3,300 square feet. It needs to be remodeled. You remodel it. Uh, you pay for the costs. And so we did. We we had several fundraisers uh, paid in full dead, and the total remodel cost for that 3,300 square feet of space was almost $700,000 raised totally by God through paid in full Oregon given to Department of Corrections for the cost of the remodel. So those class rooms were uh, finished in January of uh, 2020, just before COVID. And uh, we had our first class, uh, the first cohort started in, in, in the fall of 2019, 25 men. And then COVID struck in, in March of uh, 2020. The men were able to finish their first year of uh, the program there. It's a four-year degree. The men will end up getting a Bachelor of Science in Liberal Arts, emphasizing psychology. 
social services, and leadership. The same degree students on the outside get. And then the plan is that these men, once they graduate, will be sent out to the other prisons in Oregon to be mentors and counselors to fellow AICs in the Oregon prison system. They'll be chaplain assistants. They will uh, help with gang renunciation. They'll help on suicide watch. Uh, they will be mental health helpers and education tutors. And so the plan is to send them out, and that will we believe it will help change the culture of the Oregon prison system by, by sending our graduates out. That's the plan we have. Well, Judge Tom, I've met with a lot of different people who became full-time missionaries, and a lot of the time the argument is not to bring outsiders or Americans into these impoverished countries to preach American Christianity as much as to train locals to know the saving grace of Christ, the importance of the Bible, and the effect of Jesus Christ in their lives to allow the locals to mentor the locals. So similarly, it really seems like that's what you're doing with Paid in Full Oregon when it comes to these adults in custody. Yes, yes. They, they, it's like they, they have their own unique community, and they will be ministering uh, to their fellow adults in custody once they get their college degrees there. They will be able to go to the deep, dark places that other organizations, maybe like Prison Fellowship or some, some other organizations, can't go. These men will go into those dark places, and they'll be able to shine the light of Jesus Christ and their fellow AICs. And we're certainly big fans of what other prison fellowships have done over the years. But I tend to agree with you on that, Judge Tom, that no one can speak to fellow adults in custody like people who were incarcerated, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they have instant credibility with them. I mean, they're spending, you know, 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days a year with these people. So the men who actually apply to our college and are accepted into our college, one of the requirements is that they have to have at least eight years left on their sentence. And the reason for that is they'll get their degree in four years, but then they have another four years, at least four years, where they give back, and that's where they'll be sent out to the other prisons in the Oregon prison system. Our ideal college candidate is somebody who has who has a life sentence because we get the best bang for our dollar on that for that person because they're going to spend the rest of their earthly life being a counselor and mentor to their fellow AICs in the Oregon prison system. So. It's worked in other states. It's had really, really positive effects in other states. Uh, there's probably 17 other states now that have programs similar to what we're doing here in Oregon. This all costs money. And uh, God has actually raised over a million dollars since we started fundraising in June of 2018. We've had all those costs involved, you know, $700,000 for the remodel. And that's what's leading up to our event next week where we're going to be uh, having that virtual fundraiser celebration on March 11th at 7 o'clock. And uh, our goal is to raise $250,000 at that event. Uh, we've already had have sponsorships of a little over $100,000. So there may be more by the time we get to the event. But uh, we're just excited about what's going to happen next Thursday. Uh, we've got a production company that's putting all the videos together. We're going to have probably 30, 32 to 34 minutes worth of video, and then we're going to have a live stream during the event, too, where we'll have people who have registered will have opportunities to give in certain ways to help fund uh, the program. 
Haydenful, Oregon, transforming adults in custody into spiritual and moral leaders. Thursday, March 11th from 7 to 8 p.m. Don't miss this wonderful live stream and find out how you can help. Get your free ticket and online access at the website, paidinfulloregon.org. That's paidinfulloregon.org. More with Judge Tom Cole next on The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. This is The Georgine Rice Show. My name is Mike Lee, filling in for Georgine. We're speaking with Judge Tom Cole, who wrote Losing Megan, Finding Hope, Comfort, and Forgiveness in the Midst of Murder. And you won't want to miss this great live stream event coming up on Thursday, March 11th from 7 to 8 p.m. And you can get your free ticket, online access, and more details at the website paidinfulloregon.org. That's paidinfulloregon.org. Judge Tom, I'm so excited to see what you're doing with Paid in Full Oregon. So of all the places where you've spoken at prisons across the world, from Oregon to Washington to Georgia to Texas, North Carolina, you mentioned Angola, and overseas in Rwanda and Indonesia, are there certain areas that seemed like they were tougher nuts to crack for you? You know, God, not really. No, God has been opening doors uh, to, you know, to allow me to uh, spread the message of hope and comfort and forgiveness to inmates all over the world. And, and it's been just a remarkable remarkable experience. I was in uh, Rwanda one time speaking at a prison. It was an international prison. They had around, oh, I think eight or 9,000 prisoners there. And it was a mix. They had, they had women prisoners and, and, and male prisoners. They had prisoners from other countries uh, there. And so uh, I, I went to speak there one time and, and I was with my uh, translator and uh, we, I actually had the interview with the commissioner for the Department of Corrections for the entire country uh, before he would allow me to go into prison. And so uh, we traveled there. We, we had our papers with us. We showed the warden our papers. And so the warden had actually set aside a spot for me to speak, and it was under a shelter within the prison itself. And it looked like it would hold about 250 uh, people there, we figured, and and my translator, the fellow that I was with, said, "No, no, no, no. This, <laughs> he, he, we need to have more, more inmates come to this than that." So, we had to wait around about an hour, and then I went into this other area of the prison, and they had 2,500 uh, uh, prisoners that were there down in the courtyard, and they were all dressed in pink or orange. The ones in pink were ones who had not been convicted yet. Uh, There's they're still having trials going on concerning the genocide that occurred back there. And the ones in orange are the ones who were, were convicted. So it was just, you know, it was an amazing experience to, to be able to, to keep, bring that message of hope and comfort to those, those individuals that were there. So, so there's been no real challenges. I mean, the door has just been wide open there. And I've just been so appreciative of what God has done, allowing me to, tell the story of, of how he, how God can take a tragedy like like the, you know, the murder of a 21-year-old woman and take that and turn it into something that's going to have an effect, you know, or it's going to change men's lives in prison. Uh, it's going to have an eternal effect for people that are involved in the prison system. you got to hate the circumstances that led to this, Judge Tom Cole, but it's wonderful that Megan's legacy is going to be beyond simply this book 
end this story of her horrific murder. So can you tell us a little bit about your daughter, something special about Megan? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I uh, <laughs> have really fond memories of her. I remember, uh, you know, I'd come home from work uh, before I was a judge. I'd be a lawyer, and I'd come home, and she'd come running up to me, and, you know, Daddy, Daddy, I love you. And there would be times where, where we'd be sitting uh, on a chair in, inside her house near her bedtime, and, and uh, I would read to her. I would then take her. She'd fall asleep in my arms. I'd take her upstairs to her bed, and I would always – pray that one prayer uh, that people prayed <laughs> years ago. I Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And I remember specifically praying that prayer with her on many, many occasions. And, and uh, I know that uh, uh, when she was you know, when she was murdered, I wasn't sure about where she was with her walk with God. We had We've been Catholics, raised her as a Catholic, and uh, that was my biggest question to God: was God, you know, please let me know where she is. Is she with you? Uh, Is she with you? You know, that would be my, you know, for a year and a half I prayed that prayer, and one time, uh, God answered that prayer, and He did that through my wife. Uh, My wife woke up at three o'clock in the morning one time, and uh, God directed her to write down some words. So uh, she wrote down the words that God told her to write down. And then she waited about two or three days to show me what, what those words were. And it's in my book. I write about it. Uh, but those words were uh, words that only Megan would know, Megan and myself would know. And God disclosed that to me. And so so God assured me that Megan was with him. I mean, it was just an uh, Oh, it was such a remarkable, amazing, uh, miraculous experience to, to have God assure me that Megan was with him in heaven. And so, you know, I'll just never forget that, saying that prayer with her, you know, and, and, and what that prayer meant. We're speaking with Judge Tom Cole, who wrote Losing Megan, Finding Hope, Comfort, and Forgiveness in the Midst of Murder. And you won't want to miss a wonderful live stream event Thursday, March 11th from 7 to 8 p.m. It's paid in full Oregon's the ripple effect. So, Judge Tom, I want to find out more about you and your history, but for right now, tell us what exactly is the ripple effect? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so the ripple effect is what one little pebble does. I mean, you can imagine this, you know, a pebble that you throw into a pond and all these waves, these these waves go out. And so this is what Payton Full is doing. Payton Full is taking a pebble and we're dropping this in to the Oregon prison system. We're dropping it into OSCI. And this pebble is God's word. It's, it, it, it's a college degree from Corbin University. These men are going to learn that. And it's going to go out to the rest of the men in the Oregon prison system. It's going to go out. The staff are going to be able to see this ripple effect of these men are different than the other men I've seen here. The families on the outside, I mean, you know, all these men in the prison system, and they're in the prison system for a reason. You know, it's, it's, they're there, they, they are paying their debt to society for the crimes that they committed. And, and, and I don't want to make it sound like they're poor little whatever, you know, they're there for a reason. But the thing about this is we need to, what we need to be concerned about, what we need to really, really focus on is that 95% of those men and women in our prison system are going to be released back into our communities. 
and they're going to have a ripple effect when they get back into our communities. And so if 95% are going to be released back into our communities, how do we want them to come back? Do we want them to come back with a hardened heart and a 45 strapped to their waistband? Or do we want to have them come back with a transformed heart and a college degree in their hand or even a Bible in their hand? I mean, that question is really, really, you know, easy to answer. And so I think that that's what we're talking about when we talk about the ripple effect. What this, what this, what this degree program is going to do? It's going to give these men a transformative education. It's going to change their hearts, and the people around them are going to be able to see that. So, one of the verses that God really has, has just brought forth to me, you know, and, 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 and it's increased my faith so much is Romans eight twenty eight. We've all heard of that Romans eight twenty eight and eight twenty nine, where all things work for the good of those who love God or are called, called according to his purpose. And the reason is so they can be conformed more like Christ. And so that means all things work for the good of those who love God. All things work for the good of those who love God. Not some things, not most things, but all things. And so even the brutal murder of a 21-year-old beautiful, beautiful woman, God can take that tragedy and turn it into a triumph. He can take that bad thing and turn it into something good. Uh, and and, and the, the most ironic thing about about this is that is that you know the man who murdered my daughter, Robert, the man who murdered my daughter, can end up going to college in prison and getting a college degree. Why? Because he murdered my daughter. That's the upside down world that God gives us. Losing Megan finding hope, comfort, and forgiveness in the midst of murder. The website for your nonprofit organization is paidinfulloregon.org. That's paidinfulloregon.org. And don't forget, that's the website to go to for access to this free online event. It's an hour-long live stream, Thursday, March 11th. And it includes a presentation, a special one, by Ruth Graham, daughter of the late Reverend Billy Graham. When we return more with Judge Tom Cole on The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to The Georgine Rice Show. My name is Mike Lee, filling in for Georgine. Judge Tom Cole, after the murder of your daughter, Megan, how long did it take for God to heal your heart to the point of forgiveness for Robert? Well, you know, it, 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 like I said in the beginning, I mean, I, I had so much sorrow and despair and remorse in my heart. Uh, I was hopeless and helpless. You know, there were moments when I had suicidal thoughts. I mean, I never did anything to, uh, took, took any steps in that direction, but I was really down. And, and, and so, you know, uh, uh, my heart was so full of that that I didn't have have any anger or bitterness towards the person who committed this crime. And I didn't even know who it was, but that, that's, that's how my heart, my heart was just filled with that. There was no room for bitterness or anger. So, so that was, that was the gift that Jesus gave me. The gift that he gave me was, 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 was the sorrow and loss that I felt, which didn't give room for bitterness or anger or resentment. And, and that's, that's how I, that's the only, only thing how I can explain it because, you know, I mean, there are times in my life where people say something to me or, or do something, whatever, and I feel offended and I get mad and I get angry and I get upset and bitter and resentful. It 
just didn't happen in this most horrific of circumstances. I can't explain it. I can I can just say God, God gave me life. He gave me hope. You know, uh, He gave me forgiveness. So that must have been from God, because obviously you loved your daughter Megan so very much for for you to be able to not hold on to a bitterness like that has to be a gift from God, Tom. It really is, and in it, it's still, uh, it, it takes my breath away at times to, to think about her loss, uh, to think about how she died. Uh, it just, it just takes takes my breath away. And there'll be, you know, uh, grief is a, it, 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 it's a very complex uh, emotion, and and. As you go along, you know, you, you sort of go through grief. It's, it's not like you, you run away from it. I mean, I found that like, it's like leaning into waves. If you if the waves are coming at you, you know, when you're on the beach, if you lean into them, you can get through them. Or if you try to fight them, they'll, they'll knock you back. And so that's kind of the way grief is. You just kind of, I mean, I, for me, I found that I lean into that grief, and, and, and it just helps me, helps me get through that. Now, there are times... Uh, Yet, you know, so it's been, it'll be, what, 15 years this July that Megan has passed. Uh, but there are times yet when I see like a, I see a, a dad and a daughter walking down the street uh, holding hands, and I just get ambushed. But it just comes out of the blue. I get ambushed by grief, and it's decided, you know, just that, that, that feel like I've lost my breath, and, and tears come to my eyes. And so uh, you just never know when that's going to happen, so. It's gone most of the time, but it, it can, you can be ambushed by it at, at, at any moment. I think we all grieve differently, Tom. And at the same time, every day is a gift. We're not promised tomorrow. And yet at the same time, growing up comfortably in America, it's easy for us to want what's supposed to be coming to us, to feel entitled. I'm supposed to dance with my daughter at her wedding. I'm supposed to play ball with my grandkids someday. Do you have any words of advice for parents who are grieving the loss of a child? Oh, <laughs> you know, it, it's so individual, you know, I think for, for people, you know, this, this walk through grief, if anybody is struggling with that, you know, I, I would certainly recommend there, there's a program that my wife and I went through. It's called Grief Share, and it's a program out of the, by a church out in North Carolina. And so Julie and I went through that Grief Share program. It's about 14 or 15 weeks long. And it really helped me get through that, that going and walking through that grief. I mean, there's a lot of things that people have in common, a lot of things that grief has in common with other people. And so that kind of teaches you about that. And so we did that. And then six years later, we lost our first grandchild. And, and, and she was four years old. And so, you know, we're just, we're just kind of, we were, you know, what happened? You know, God, what happens? You know, what, why, why this? Now Megan's gone and now. The end's gone. And so we have to go through that grief again. And so we went through that. We went through the grief share program. So God really prepared us for the next step for Julie and I, because now, or, or until a couple of years ago, we were leading grief share programs. We were facilitators. For four years, we helped people walk through uh, the grief through losses of, you know, losses of loved ones. So uh, it's kind of like God gave us a specialty. It's something you never, you would never ask for a specialty of how to help people go through grief. I mean, who wants who wants that? 
One of the other scriptures that's really impactful to me is Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, that talks about we worship a God of comfort. And that God of comfort who gives us comfort during our trials, we can then give comfort to others, the same type of comfort to others that God gave us through the trials that he led us through. And so, so that's kind of why things happen the way they do. The loss of Megan enabled me to help others walk through the loss of children, other parents walk through the loss of children. And, and just a perfect example of Second Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 4. We can just offer that same comfort that God gave us during the trials that we go through. So none of us would have picked the clubs that we've been born into when it comes to losing loved ones. And at the same time, we can take our grief and our pain and turn it around to help others that had a similar loss at one point or another. Thank you for what you do. We've got a great program on Saturday afternoons from 4 to 5 called One to Another, which is another way to learn how to deal with grief. But please don't take on your tragedies and anxieties on your own. Do seek help, professional help, seek the church, seek good counseling, and know that there's no shame there, that we need to help each other out and that it's okay. I'd like to call you Judge Tom Cole to honor your title, but I want to find out more about just plain Tom. So can you tell us where you grew up, Tom? (laughs) Well, I can tell you, and that may explain some aspects of my personality. Uh, (laughs) I was born in a little town in Ohio called Defiance. And that, unfortunately, has been part of my personality. Uh, I've, I've learned that God has learned to help me deal with that defiant attitude that I've had uh, once in a while. So I was born in Ohio. Uh, I ended up uh, playing football in high school. I ended up uh, getting a scholarship to go to the University of Kentucky. And I, so I played football at the University of Kentucky uh, for about two years. I ended up having a career-ending injury which involved a broken leg, a broken nose, and a dislocated jaw. The, the injury, that I, that I, the career-ending injury was a bad attitude about football. I just, I just decided to, to give it up at that point. So I gave it up. I uh, ended up going over the Peace Corps, spending two years in India, came back. I dropped out of college and then went to India and then came back and finished up college and then went to the University of Toledo uh, Law School. Uh, so that's a little bit of my background. As you mentioned the town that you grew up in and how you kind of lived up to its name. That's that's really funny, Tom. <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. When I tell people I was born in Defiance, Ohio, oh, now I see. <laughs> so, it makes sense now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Growing up, had you always been an advocate for others? Did you ever imagine yourself becoming a judge? Was this something that came after your football injury? Yeah, no, I never really thought I would be a judge. I mean, I was a you know, I I knew I had a uh, some 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 lawyer uh, talents in me, although I was not very uh, very uh, very very smart. I mean, I ended up getting in law school, but I really struggled uh, in law school, uh, but eventually I graduated in the top 10% of the lower half of my law school class. So 
as I was a lawyer and then a judge and, and, uh, the judging part has been really good. I mean, I, I just enjoyed my career as a judge. I had an opportunity to start a drug court in Washington County. It was a court of second and third chances for people who are involved in the criminal justice system who are also drug addicts. And so that was just, that was probably the best job I had as a judge when I was a drug court judge, helping people get through the system. So. Thank you so much for sharing your life-changing story of redemption with us through your book, Losing Megan, Finding Hope, Comfort, and Forgiveness in the Midst of Murder, and from your nonprofit group, Paid in Full Oregon, Transforming Adults in Custody into Spiritual and Moral Leaders. Partnering with Corbin University, they'll be providing fully accredited bachelor's degrees to adults in custody. And you can find out more about their virtual fundraising celebration Thursday, March 11th from 7 to 8 p.m. Don't miss this live stream featuring a special presentation by Ruth Graham, daughter of the late Reverend Billy Graham. Your free ticket, online access, and more information can be found at paidinfulloregon.org. That's paidinfulloregon.org. So thanks so much again for all you're doing for the community. Judge Tom Cole. Thank you, Mike. Really appreciate this opportunity. It's been a pleasure. I know that you're good friends with Georgine Rice, and we look forward to a follow-up interview with you of success stories as a result of Paid in Full Oregon. That would be great. This is Mike Lee. Thanks for listening to me filling in for Georgine on The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. This is The Georgine Rice Show. I'm Mike Lee filling in for Georgine. Airing weekdays at 6.30 in the morning, we have enjoyed the teachings of Pastor John Corson on his show, Searchlight. And we have a very special guest today. In fact, it's his son, the senior pastor from Applegate Christian Fellowship in Jacksonville, Oregon. Welcome, Ben Corson. How are you today, sir? Mike, so good to be with you. Thanks for having me, my friend. I'm doing great. It's such a privilege to have you on the air, and I want to thank you and your dad, John Corson, and Applegate Christian Fellowship for all that you've done over the years to reach out to others. So I want to talk about other things, including your new book, but could you tell us what exactly is Hope Generation? Hope Generation is a TV show that airs in 180 countries, and it's a radio show that uh, airs on over 500 stations, and it's also a social media outreach to give people hope. So I want to generate hope in the individual, but also create a generation of hope so that we go down not as the snowflake, most depressed generation of all time, not as the mope generation, but the hope generation. So I want to provide people with happy depths by delving into the scriptures history and science and my own personal story so we can come up to a greater level of sacred optimism, Jesus, joy, holy happiness, and calm delight. Oh, I love it, Ben. Uh, Do you think that nowadays there's such a rift between the different generations? We bring up the term cancel culture frequently, and I don't know about you, but for me growing up, certain things were just inherent, and family was one of them. And granted, I'm an Asian American, Protestant work ethic, all the things that I was raised with are often cultural in addition to familial. But do you believe that there's so much more of a separation now than there was in the past? 
I think there really is a great division and a great separation. I mean, you think of the OK Boomer sort of hashtag that's out there. I think there is a a vast dichotomy of misunderstanding between the two generations. But it also, you look at the the Vietnam generation with the hippies and the Nixon fans. I mean, that was a pretty cosmic rift and divide as well. And so one of the things that I love about what Jesus said is the wise rabbi or the wise teacher pulls from the storehouse treasures new and old. And so I want to use the new mediums, modicums and mechanisms, MO, like social media, the internet to reach the young people, but also use radio and TV, these tried and true things that have been around for a while to reach the older generation as well. And one of my heart, uh, one of the things on my heart is just as John the Baptist was called to bring the hearts of children back to their fathers. So too, I want to, I want to really heal the breaches and um, and and really stand in the gap and mend the wounds that have been created uh, between this sort of uh, generational misunderstanding. So I, I really want to see young men seeing visions and old men dreaming dreams, just like the new covenant is all about. I'm so grateful to hear that, Ben Corson. So can you give us a little background on yourself? How was it in particular being a PK, being a pastor's kid, much less the son of John Corson? Well, I had a great experience. You know, my dad drilled the Bible into me. So being a pastor's kid, I kind of got to be in a pastor and training school all my life, which was fantastic. So, and, and not only that, but my dad gave me incredible opportunity because of my dad, you know, uh, directly or indirectly, I have all these opportunities that I, I've received today. So I gave my first sermon in third grade and started traveling and speaking at 16 and became a pastor my senior year of high school. So even though I'm young, I've been doing this for a very long time. Uh, so I'm really thankful uh, to my dad for that. But also, I, I must say my mom, she like I want to be my mom when I grow up, if I ever grow up. She's my hero. She's like Tigger on steroids. She is joyful. She's an anthropomorphized sunbeam. She's a lump of sunshine. So I, I just, I'm very, very grateful for the childhood that I experienced. Ben, how was John the dad versus John the pastor that so many of us are familiar with? Was there any difference between the two? Same guy. No difference. I was just telling someone the other day, with my dad, what you see is what you get. What he preaches on is what he lives in. Um, and, and I'm really, really amazed at his consistency year after year, decade after decade, being the same person on the platform and off the platform. It's funny, Ben. You're not the only pastor's kid or missionary's kid I've spoken to who said that perhaps their parents' most admired trait was the fact that they were exactly the same at home as they were in the pulpit. And I'm sure that's got to be a tough thing to do, especially with a church of the heritage of, of Applegate. So you mentioned your first sermon being preached as a young child. So can you remember a moment where your faith became your own as opposed to being the son of John Corson? When I was 16 years old, I started reading the Second Chronicles um, first and second Chronicles, the story of David and also the stories of the kings of Judah, Jehoshaphat and Asa and these great men like Uzziah and, uh, and, and I was reading about Rehoboam and Manasseh and, uh, Joash and Jehoahash and all these kings. And I started realizing that the kings who walked with God were successful. The kings who didn't walk with God weren't successful. And that was a very simple, simple formula and pattern that I found in Second Chronicles. And I realized, you know what? 
walking with God makes life so much better. I know a lot of times we hear about how, you know, you're going to suffer, you're going to go through persecution. But I also like to remind people, if you share in his suffering, you will also share in his glory. And I think it was when I was 16 years old, reading the Chronicles that I really realized there is nothing better than walking with God. And that's when I started owning my faith to a whole new level. I mean, I've I believed in the Lord ever since I was two years old uh, and been walking with him. But it was around when I was 15, 16 years old that I knew I wanted to go into the ministry. Hope Generation is a play on words that suggests both a personal and collective appeal, generating hope in God and building a generation of hope. That's the mission of Hope Generation. And you can find out more about Ben Corson at his website, bencorson.com, spelled B-E-N-C-O-U-R-S-O-N.com. And do make sure to follow Ben on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. When we return, more about Ben Corson and also his new book, Flirting with Darkness. When we return, more about Flirting with Darkness with Ben Corson right here on The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're speaking with Ben Corson. Make sure to follow him on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And you can learn more about Ben Corson at his website, bencorson.com, spelled B-E-N-C-O-U-R-S-O-N.com. Ben, can you tell us about your latest release, Flirting with Darkness, Helping Readers Defeat Depression and Renew Hope? Flirting with Darkness is all about building hope in the face of depression for those who've struggled with despair or felt the temptation and the seductive lure of suicide ideation. So I give practical tools and tips that have helped me get out of depression. These are weapons to defeat the dark lord of despair. So uh, just kind of a sneak preview, we talk about, for example, prayer. Scientific research shows that talking to God about your hopes, fears, and dreams has the same effect on your brain as therapy. We talk about exercise. Science also shows that a 40-minute jog has the same effect on your brain as a strong antidepressant. Um, I talk about counseling and how that helped me get out and the importance of remembering that sometimes you have to pursue meaning and not pursue happiness. Sometimes we look so much for happiness when really what we need to start pursuing is purpose and then joy will follow as a byproduct. So this book tells my personal story and it also looks about the, it looks at the history of depressed people, what the Bible has to say about depression and practical weapons we can use to arm ourselves to the teeth from the arsenal of these pages to defeat the dark lord of despair. Ben Corson, I think about people like you and Brant Hanton in particular, mainstream, hip Christians with a great audience who are unafraid to talk about the benefits of counseling and possibly of medication. So do you believe that there is a shift in the way the church deals with mental health? It's getting a lot better. Um, I think that slowly but surely the stigma and taboo attached to depression is getting lifted, partly because, you know, the Bible characters that were the greatest struggled with suicide and depression. I mean, Moses said, if you continue to treat me this way, God, take my life. Jonah asked God to kill him when a worm ate his plant. Elijah, when he was tired, hungry, and isolated, he was thinking too much, which you shouldn't do in that moment. And he asked God to take his life. Job said he wished he was a stillborn. 
Paul said we despaired even of life. And Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. So I think slowly but surely people are saying, okay, well, some of the greatest Bible characters struggled with deep sorrow. So um, we're going to lift sort of that, that judgy vibe off of depressed people. And I think that's good. I also think it's really important, though, that we remember that um, the stigma around medication and counseling, we still have a ways to go in lifting that as well. And here's what I mean. Jesus, the Bible says he healed a blind guy miraculously with his spit in the story. And back in that generation, they believed spit was medicine. So the Roman historian Tacitus talks about the emperor Vespasian healing a guy with his spit. They believed spit was medicinal, that it would heal you. And so it's as if Jesus is putting a stamp of approval on medicine, saying that miracles and medicine can go hand in hand. So I think that Paul the Apostle, when he healed people with his sweatbands and aprons in this story, that's recorded by Luke. Dr. Luke, who actually records miraculous healings as a physician. So I think medicine and miracles go hand in hand. Because we have to remember that Roger Bacon and William of Ockham 750 years ago, Franciscan monks and friars invented the scientific method. Christians invented science. So it's not about, you know, choosing between science and medicine or God and spirituality. The two go hand in hand. And also I will say, it drives me crazy when people are like, you know, you shouldn't go to counseling. That's not biblical. You shouldn't go to therapy. And I'm like, where does it say that? Second Opinionians 2.12. <laughs> if anything, the Bible says in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. The more counselors, the better. And it was a therapist who was huge in saving my life as well. It's so refreshing to hear that, especially from a young, devout pastor like yourself, Ben Corson. I know that you probably encountered them over the years because I have as well, but if you were to speak with anyone who had a negative encounter with a church situation that inferred or maybe even flat out said, if you're ill, it's your fault because you don't pray hard enough or there must be sin in your life, which again goes against the teachings of the Bible. There are so many people hurting at the hands of bad past church relationships, Ben. What would you say to encourage them? Well, I would just say to people, remember, you're living the story of Job. Remember when Job said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And what did his friends do? His miserable comforter friend said he was suffering because he did something wrong. That, I mean, that's basically the whole conversation he's having with his buddies. Is He's like, I didn't do anything wrong. I know that my Redeemer lives. My salvation will come. I'll be vindicated. I'm not crazy. And and I think the same thing happens today. A lot of people can project on others uh, this idea that they are suffering in light of some evil that they're committing in their secret life when that is not always the case. Now, there are instances where we make a mistake and we suffer consequences, and that's just everyday life, as Phronesis and Sophia would tell us, wisdom and sound judgment, that's obvious. But there are other times when we are in trouble for doing the right thing, like when Paul and Silas were praising at midnight when the night was at its darkest, their worship was at its loudest, they were in prison for doing a good deed, for healing a demon-possessed girl and taking away her oracular slave uh, fortune-telling predispositions. And, and basically what I'm saying is a lot of times I think we can get accused of suffering from depression because we did something wrong. When I would argue maybe you're going through the darkness because you did something right. 
By that, I mean some of the most creative people have struggled with depression because worry is a misuse of the imagination and creative people have a big imagination, but the underbelly that can crush them, the shadow side of that imagination is when it goes wrong, you can imagine worst case scenarios that aren't even real. Just as Mark Twain said, I have had a great many troubles, most of which have never happened. So like if you look at Leo Tolstoy when writing Anna Karenina or Buzz Aldrin or Ernest Hemingway, Abraham Lincoln or Calvin Coolidge, Winston Churchill, these were all people who struggled with depression. So it is not always a sign of weakness. Sometimes it's a sign of strength. So that's why we can't judge people for going through depression. Sometimes it's actually a symptom of creativity. Creativity. Let's get back to that with Ben Corson. Harvest House Publishers released his latest book, Flirting with Darkness, which addresses the epidemic of depression, anxiety, and suicide, and guides readers out of the deep well of despair and disappointment to breathe renewed hope. And Ben Corson is an international speaker, best-selling author, TV and radio personality, and he is now the senior pastor of Applegate Christian Fellowship. Ben, I want to get back into your latest book, Flirting with Darkness, but at the same time, our listeners would want to know, how's the transition been as the senior pastor of Applegate Christian Fellowship following in your dad John's footsteps? One of the things I love about how my dad transitioned this whole new season of me becoming the senior pastor is the fact that, you know, he's always wanted me to do it my way rather than trying to be a mini him. Like, you you know how Saul tried to put his own armor on David and it was cumbersome and unwieldy and David couldn't fight Goliath and that. So we just stuck with his sling and his stone. And I'm really thankful that in this season, my dad has encouraged me, you know, just do you be, be you. And I think, that that is what enables me to get to do this. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. The other thing is I really believe in teams. So in the New Testament church, churches weren't always just founded around one big personality. Of course, in Antioch and Jerusalem, you had some powerful Christian leaders. I mean, you had people like Paul and Barnabas. You had James. You had some powerful, in Jerusalem, for example, some powerful personalities. But if you read the writings of Paul, churches were run by a team. So you had pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, and apostles. And that's how we're trying to do it here because I travel and speak constantly. So because of that, we have to have really good teams. So we are running this also as more of a team effort as opposed to just one personality, which is something else I'm feeling deep gratitude for. When we return more about Flirting with Darkness with Ben Corson right here on The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're speaking with Ben Corson. Make sure to follow him on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. How's the transition been as the senior pastor of Applegate Christian Fellowship? In the New Testament church, churches weren't always just founded around one big personality. Of course, in Antioch and Jerusalem, you had some powerful Christian leaders I mean, you had people like Paul and Barnabas, you had James, you had some powerful, in Jerusalem, for example, some powerful personalities. But if you read the writings of Paul, churches were run by a team. So you had pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, and apostles. And that's how we're trying to do it here, because I travel and speak constantly. So because of that, we have to have really good teams So we are running this also as more of a team effort as opposed to just one personality, which is something else I'm feeling deep gratitude for. 
I think that's so much healthier, Ben, because ultimately, anyone working in ministry's goal is to point eyes toward Jesus. And my imperfect theology has this theory, and you can tell me what you think about it. Ultimately, whether or not it's intentional, we're doing one of two things, Ben. We're either saying, be more like Jesus, or be more like me, even with the best of intentions. So if you've got a team, and it's not only Ben Corson up teaching, preaching, sharing, and shepherding, I think it's easier to focus more on Jesus than it would be if you were up there 51 and a half Sundays per year, right? I think that's a good point. You know, th- there is that element of Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, you know, and, and we're made in the image of God and we're to reflect that and, and show what that looks like in our own lives. And hopefully people will follow our example. But you're right. I mean, the goal is not for people to look like me. The goal is for people to grow into the full stature of, of the Christ dimension, to live up to their identity and destiny as the likeness of God. So I think that's super important, pointing people to the source, the principle behind which you cannot go, the creator of the initial singularity, God himself. I mean, that's who we want to be constantly looking to, following after, trusting in, leaning into, depending upon. So that's our goal at this church as well, for us to image and reflect as a mago day, Salem Elohim, the God of hope to the world. I love it, Ben. So does it feel like you're the lead pastor now? Are you still adjusting? It's been almost a year, and uh, I am definitely still adjusting. It is a it is a bit anomalous for me in the sense that I live on the road, so I come back and teach, you know, almost every single Monday night. Uh, I'll teach one or two Sundays, oftentimes a month, but I'm also just constantly on the road, traveling, teaching. Currently on a book tour, and I know that might sound a little wild, but I'm continuing to do what I did before I became senior pastor. Just now, we have a sort of a larger teaching team around us. So it it adds more diversity. And I don't want it to be a facsimile of uniformity, but a unity in diversity. And so we bring in sort of these different personalities in our church to make sure that we're as well-rounded as possible while also keeping this vision in mind that we want to constantly be emanating and disseminating hope to our valley. So that's the goal here. But yes, it's a slow but sure adjustment. And by all means, uh, I've told you how much I adore your assistant, John Swenson. But give a shout out and send thanks to people maybe behind the scenes that you really appreciate. Yes. Yeah, that's great. John Swenson has been amazing. Our Hope Gen administrator, uh, Jeff Bates, who oversees our TV production. Uh, Jeremy Dittmer, who oversees our radio production, is a videographer. Dylan Bates and Taylor Bates, brothers who are uh, editing our TV show and putting videos together. Deb Steffi, Dave. We, I mean, we have a whole team here that I'm just so thankful for all the behind-the-scenes work. People you don't always see that are really doing great deeds of daring. Paige Bates, who um, helps assist John Swenson. I mean, we just have a really, really great team. And I just want to say, if you're listening and you're somebody who is working behind the scenes, uh, I just want to remind you that what you do in the darkness will be seen in the light and you will not go without your reward. And we are thankful for people like you who keep, I think of the legs of a duck, you know, they move quick. You don't see them. The duck looks super graceful, but underneath the surface, there's a hurry and scurry of activity. And I think that's what all those people behind the scenes are under the surface. They're, they're hurrying um, and scurrying to make it 
move, make the whole operation move gracefully like a duck, like a swan. And uh, that's why I'm very, very, very filled with joy that I get to work with such great behind the scenes people. I'm so glad that God has surrounded you with a solid crew to help lift you up. So for those who work in ministry, Ben, do you have any suggestions when it comes to our straying eyes? I believe that God's given each of us individual, separate gifts, talents, and callings to follow. But sometimes it's difficult not to look at someone else and say, oh, well, I wish I was the quarterback instead of the punter. Yeah, I mean, Paul the Apostle talked about, what if the eye said, I wish I was the foot, for the body of Christ to be what it is? And you got to remember, that was a pioneering idea and ideal back in Paul's day. It's kind of become a hackneyed cliche to say we're the body of Christ today. Back then, that was very interesting. He said, we are one bread and one body. And in order for it to work, we all have to have a coordinated um, we all have to have a coordinated response from the head. And I think it's important to remember that just as the brain sends signals to the hands to do their work, so too the Bible says Jesus is the head, not the pastor, that Jesus is the head. And we want to get his thoughts and his vision for the church. I think that's what pastors, their goal is to make sure that, you know, the rest of the body is functioning properly. We have to get our signals from the head, which is not the pastor. It's actually the Lord. Well, amen to that. In the past, Applegate was meeting Sunday mornings at 9 and 11. So how have things been for Applegate Christian Fellowship since the pandemic and closures, social distancing, mask wearing, and things like that, Ben? Well, of course, the church has never closed. The building has been closed one week due to wildfires, then uh, many weeks due to the coronavirus. But we slowly opened up, and now we have our services at 9 and 11 on Sunday morning. We actually have service six days a week. For those who want to come, morning worship every day, 55 live, Monday night Bible study, Tuesday college, Wednesday night, um, Tuesday night college group, pardon me, Wednesday night through the Bible. Uh, Alex Heater, great Bible teacher, is teaching through uh, the book of Acts. So we have lots of opportunities throughout the week for people to meet, but the staff, we we believe in creating a safe and, um, and healthy environment. So we wear masks and we uh, we don't we don't pressure people to come. We also allow uh, we also have part of me live stream services for those who don't feel safe in coming. We want to allow them to feel very loved and welcome, even from their living room. So in this live stream era that we're living through right now, Ben, have you noticed a lot of people joining Applegate that weren't there in person previously? That's a good question. I don't know how much of that has really changed. I think that we're slowly figuring it out week by week. And right now, um, the services at 9 and 11 have three teachers. So sometimes I'll teach, sometimes my dad will teach, sometimes Alex will teach. But yeah, I actually have seen uh, new faces and uh, people coming into uh, for, what's, for what, what is for them new, new spaces. And it's actually been a great joy. But, but uh, a lot of our core group is showing up faithfully week by week, which we're really, really stoked about. Ben Corson, thank you so much for taking time out as the senior pastor of Applegate Christian Fellowship and on your touring across the country. All the best with you, your family, and Hope Generation with Ben Corson with more information at bencorson.com. And make sure to follow him on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Ben, thanks so much again. Mike, thank you so much. You are so good at what you do. You do your craft with excellence, and it's an honor to be with you. We'll talk soon. I look forward to it. This is Mike Lee. I've been filling in for Georgine Rice, and you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. 
If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.